Good morning, my name is Kevin Gartley, and my family and I have been attending TCC for a little over eight years. This morning's scripture comes from John 16, verses 16 to 33, and I'll be reading from the New International Version. Jesus went on to say, In a little while you'll see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, What does he mean saying, In a little while you'll see me no more, and then after a little while you'll see me, and because I'm going to the Father? They kept asking, What does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, and so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you'll see me no more, and then after a little while you'll see me? Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into this world. So with you, now is your time of grief. But I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. In that day you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that, you'll ask the, that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you've loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have someone, anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe you came from God. Do you now believe, Jesus replied? A time is coming and in fact has already come when you will be scattered each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the word, the world, the word of the Lord. Thank you, Kevin, for reading that longer passage of scripture. I'm often asked if I want the whole thing read or just a portion of the scripture, and I'm always like, the whole thing. We got to read the whole thing. It's good. For, it's good to read scripture together. How many of you wish that you could see into the future? If you're really honest, wouldn't you love if you could see into the future? If you would know what tomorrow would hold, if you could know um, the outcome of every situation and circumstance that you find yourself dealing with, I think it would make our lives perhaps a whole lot easier if we could just see into the future and know um, how best to handle what is ahead of us. If I could see into the future, I'm sure my NCAA March Madness bracket would not look like this. Uh, all those red X's on there identify that I have no idea um, what was going to happen in the first round. Um, if you're not into basketball, right now is March Madness, and I'm not really into basketball. I'm not really even a fan of Gonzaga, but I guess maybe I think they're going to win, and they're still in it, right? So uh, some hope there. Maybe they'll win. 
but my March Madness bracket here is, is revealing that I'm not very good at predicting the future. And I guess I shouldn't feel too bad about that because my friend tells me that I have about a 1 in 120 billion chance of getting the bracket fully right. Um, right now I'm running at about 50%, um, so uh, in terms of it being correct, so I'm not very good at all at predicting the future. But again, if we were honest, we'd probably enjoy, if we knew, enjoy life a little bit more, we'd experience a bit of ease in our day-to-day if we knew for certain what was happening tomorrow. We'd invest our money differently, we would uh, spend our time differently. There's things we would just choose not to worry about because we know what was coming. That's interesting to me in our text this morning because Jesus predicts the future in multiple places. He tells his disciples exactly what is going to happen. And guess what? Everything that Jesus said was going to happen is exactly what happened. We're in a series right now called Living the Life, and we're looking at the upper room discourse, which is this kind of exclusive portion of scripture that we have in the gospel of John. It doesn't occur uh, in the other gospels. And in this portion of scripture, we have Jesus knowing exactly what is going to happen, spending time with his disciples and kind of giving them this final address, this final word. And we are right to pay attention to these words. The disciples were right to pay attention to these words. What the disciples needed to know about the future, Jesus was going to tell them. What they needed to know so that they could handle and endure what was to come, Jesus is telling them. And I think about our own lives, and I feel that this text is just as relevant to us this morning as it was to the disciples some thousands of years ago. Because Jesus still knows the future, (laughs) He still knows the outcome. He still knows exactly what you and I are going to face day in and day out. And I believe that he has equipped us with all that we need to know so that we can journey through what is to come well. I'm going to work through the text this morning. I encourage you, if you have a Bible, to pull it out and follow along with me in John chapter 16. If you do not have a Bible and you want to follow along, there's Bibles at our usher's table. You can uh, raise your hand and an usher will bring that to you. uh, And you can keep that as a gift from our church to you. Uh, But we'll be walking uh, through the text. And I want to highlight for us three ideas. Three things that Jesus is giving to his disciples. Three things that they need to know. As they endure what is about to come. Let's jump into that. The first is that full and lasting joy is found in the gospel. Full and lasting joy is found in the gospel. The beginning of this portion of scripture is kind of awkward to read. Um, and it, when I read it, I am scratching my head. I'm like, what, what is Jesus talking about? Why all this repetition? He says, Jesus went on to say, in a little while, you'll see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. And that's the section concludes with him saying, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. Seven times Jesus, uh, seven times we have in this, this, this phrase, in a little while. In a little while, in a little while, in a little while. There's something about this little while that is a really big deal. But what is being referred to? What is the point? What is Jesus getting at? Well, of course, Jesus here is talking about his death and resurrection. In a little while, you will see me no more. 
Jesus is going to die. But in a little while, you will see me again. He's going to rise from the dead. The climactic build in these verses is so easy for us to miss because we are on this side of the cross. We've already read the full gospel of John. We've been to a few Easter services and Good Friday services, so we know what's coming, but the disciples did not. And what John is getting at here is this anticipation is building. The climax is coming. In a little while, it is going to happen. And this ties into the history of all that Israel had lived through. Jesus' death and resurrection was the anticipation of time. And what Jesus is pointing to in this portion of scripture is that the time has now come. You see, the disciples would have grown up reading scripture. And growing up reading scripture, they knew the story of scripture from the Old Testament. And way back in Genesis, when Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit and sin enters into the world, we see the relationship with God is broken. Relationship between man and woman is broken. Between people is broken. Relationship between humanity and creation is broken. There's a shattering that takes place. It's a very sad part of the story. But in the midst of that, God speaks to them and he makes a promise that one is going to come and bring restoration. And as we read the Old Testament, this anticipation of restoration keeps building. We have Moses, the great prophet of Israel, the leader of Israel, who says to, says to the people that one greater than Moses is going to come. And he's going to lead the people. When King David was sitting on the throne, God came to him and gave him a promise that one will rule on the throne of David forever and ever. The peace and the prosperity of Israel will be restored. And if you know the story, the people of Israel are eventually exiled from the land. They're living in a land that is not their own. And the prophets come and they speak to the people of Israel over and over again of their hope that God is sending a savior. God is sending one who's going to come and make things right again. The anticipation. Do you hear it? And now Jesus says to them, in a little while, it's coming. In a little while, the hope, the expectation, all that you've been longing for, it's about to happen in a little while. The story is coming to a climax. The disciples eagerly are waiting. There's this longing. And it's so interesting in this text too. Because we read later on uh, in this section. That they say that yes we do believe. We believe you are the one who has come from God. They're ready for it. Well friends we too live in a day. In a sense not that different from the disciples. Where the disciples would have looked at the nation of Israel, looked around and saw that things were not as they should be. So too, we live in a time where we look around and we feel like, man, things are not as they should be. In the way that the disciples were full of of expectation and hope that God was going to move and work and, 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 and restore Israel. So too, we are living in a time where we look around the world and we longingly hope that God will come and make a difference and, and reach out into this, the devastation of our society, the devastation of our world. In a world where there's a possibility for a teenage boy to gun down two police officers. We hear these stories, we read the news, and we're devastated. God, what is going on? But God does speak into these circumstances. He spoke into the circumstance of the disciples. He speaks to our situation, our circumstances today. His answer may be different 
than what we are hoping for. But it is better. Jesus, speaking to the disciples, says to them that there will be sorrow, but their sorrow will turn into joy. And that the joy that they experience will not be taken away. Friends, the joy of the gospel cannot be taken away. No matter the situation, no matter the devastation, no matter the circumstance. What Jesus accomplished on the cross after that little while came and went. All that he accomplished cannot be taken away. And Jesus said that it gives great joy. Joy is such an amazing theme in scripture. The Bible speaks of joy in the, in the context of pleasure, the context of delight, the experience of happiness. We get joy from a lot of things. God has created a good world that we are to uh, take joy and gladness and delight from. But the joy of the gospel is something else. It's on a whole other level. The joy of the gospel is a deep happiness and delight in experiencing union with God. The joy of the gospel is gladness in knowing that you are loved, in knowing that you are significant, in knowing that you are secure and cared for and delighted in by God. No circumstance, no situation, no devastation can change the joy that those truths bring. So in that, the joy of the gospel is lasting. It's lasting because it is rooted in a historical event. After Jesus said these words to his disciples, he did go to the cross and die. But then three days later, he did rise again from the dead. And in that joy was established and brought to humanity in a way that it had not been experienced before. It is a joy that is, it is a joy and a peace guarded against any and all circumstances. This statement here in John 16, verse 20, is one of Jesus' truly, truly statements. If you're reading in NIV, you kind of miss it, but the repetition of the word truly is very significant. In the Gospel of John, there's 25 uses of this truly, truly statement, and it implies to the reader certainty, significance. Jesus is planting a flag here saying, pay attention. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Friends, there is an amazing amount of joy available to us in the person and work of Jesus. But it is so tempting and so easy for us to chase after other joys. There's something in us as people that we're just always longing for that next thing. We're always looking for something else to bring happiness, to bring peace, to bring satisfaction. It's just always fleeting. I just remember uh, this past Christmas, my, my daughter, she really got into Paw Patrol. How many of you guys know Paw Patrol? A few of us? Yeah, Paw Patrol. Love Paw Patrol at our house. And did you know why Paw Patrol was created? Was it created to educate? No. Was it created to entertain? No. It was created to sell toys. And all your parents are going, oh, that makes so much sense. And my family has fallen victim to this, where we have amassed too many Paw Patrol toys. But this past Christmas, a new Paw Patrol season had come out, where now the the Paw Patrol are truckers. 
try to wrap your mind around that. It's confusing. But a whole new line of, of, of toys has come up. You can have the truck pups, okay? So my daughter, oh, through different birthdays and things, had, had collected most of these, and there was one missing, truck pup Zuma. But that was okay because Christmas was around the corner. And uh, we have a lot of family in Edmonton, so we had four different present opening opportunities and Truck Pup Zuma was beautifully wrapped in, you know, you know that green, red, and, and white wrapping paper under the fourth Christmas tree, right? So my poor daughter had to endure three different openings where Truck Pup Zuma did not emerge. And in each one, she was devastated. Just devastated. Where's Truck Pup Zuma? So finally, she opens Truck Pup Zuma and, I don't know, she played with it for like ten minutes. If anyone's looking for a truck pup Zoom, I'll sell it to you because <laughs> my daughter doesn't care about it anymore. And we laugh at my four-year-old, but we are the same way. We chase after joy in all sorts of places. We are convinced at the core of our being, if we only possess this thing, if we only have a little bit more money in our bank account, if we only have this or that experience, if we only get that relationship, if we only figure this thing out, then I will be joyful then I will be happy. But friends, we play with it for 10 minutes. We move on to the next thing. No experience deeply satisfies. No relationship actually touches that deep part of us. We are putting the weight of our hope. We're putting the weight of our joy. We're putting the weight of our expectation on things that we're not meant to bear it. The gospel of Jesus Christ, relationship with God, union with God is the thing alone that can bear the expectation of our joy and our longing. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, in that alone will we have lasting joy. A joy that cannot be taken away. There's a lot of themes in here that tie back to the abide message that we covered a few weeks ago. And I I wonder, I talked in that message about how we have fruit envy we look around the world and we see all these, the, the prosperous around us. And we're like, man, I just wish I had that. I wish I had that. And we're envious of that type of fruit. But God has something different for us. I feel like it's the same way with joy. We look around at all the happiness that we see in our world. And we, we, we want that and we want that and we want that. But Jesus is saying, I have a different joy for you. I have something deeper. Something more lasting. We need the joy of the gospel. Friends, we need to receive the gospel and the joy that it offers. Mark chapter 115, Jesus comes onto the scenes. He begins preaching. This is what he preaches. The time is fulfilled. All that you have been waiting for, the longing, the the thing you've been hoping for and expecting, the time has come. It is now I am here. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus is here. Relationship with God can be restored. Jesus went around preaching the message of the kingdom of the heavens. He discipled his disciples. He led them. He taught them the message of the kingdom of the heavens. And he comes to us. He says, guys, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Pastor um, John Mark Homer uh, takes this phrase, repent and believe the gospel, and he puts it into his own words. He paraphrases it for us, and I love this. He says, rethink everything you think you know about God, about who God is, 
who you are and what the good life you crave actually is. Put your trust and confidence in Jesus to heal you, save you, and lead you to the life that you ache for. Repent and believe the gospel. Repentance is not simply saying you're sorry, but it's recognizing that you aren't actually the one who gets to decide what is right and wrong. (laughs) It's surrendering that authority to Jesus. Repentance is saying, okay, God, I choose to believe and trust in what you have for me. Repentance is saying, okay, God, I agree with you about what you say the good life is, and I'm going to live into that And we follow him, we trust him with our lives. Repent and believe the gospel. Confess to God of the envy you have for the other types of joy. Confess to him how you're trying to fill all the longing in your heart in all these different places. And trust that what he has is better. So the first big idea I believe Jesus gives to the disciples in the conclusion of the Upper Room Discourse is full and lasting joy is found in the gospel. The second is that there is power in prayer. There is power in prayer. Jesus says, In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, there it is again, Jesus planting a flag there. Pay attention to this. I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your, what? Joy may be Full. Jesus here is saying that the life of joy would be made available by a renewed relationship with God, established by Jesus' death and resurrection, and accessed through prayer. Accessed through prayer. Do I love about this too? In, in verse 27 of this text, if you haven't, I don't have this on the screen. Um, but Jesus says, The Father Himself loves you. The Father Himself loves you. Jesus here is introducing to the disciples a new way to pray. And he's saying you need to pray in my name to the Father. And Jesus says, I don't need to ask the Father things on your behalf. You can ask him directly. Why? Because he loves you. You know, so many of us, we don't pray. We're almost like scared of God. We we have this like reverent thing where we're like, oh, you know, most holy Father, uh, please hear the, the cry of your, this broken servant of yours. And would you please, right? And there's no boldness in prayer. Jesus taught us to pray our Father. That we could come before him and there's this relational love that's already pre-existing. And in love, Jesus hears, uh, the Father hears our prayers. In love, he listens to us. Jesus here again is teaching that we are to pray Differently, The disciples are to pray differently than they had been. Specifically that they are to pray in Jesus' name. Now if you've been paying attention in our series, this theme of praying in Jesus' name came up in in, uh, John chapter 14 as well as chapter 15 and here again in chapter 16. So I might sound repetitious this morning by recovering this, but Jesus was repeating himself as well. And it's important. So often we... We use this praying in Jesus' name as a conclusion to our prayers, right? Where it's like we've prayed all these things and we're going to authorize that prayer by stamping it with, in Jesus' name. Um, Jesus, all these things, I pray all this, in Jesus' name. It signals the end of our prayers and makes us feel like everything we just asked for is valid because we have now prayed properly in Jesus' name. But that's not what Jesus is getting at. That's not what he's teaching us. 
He's not teaching us that every prayer should conclude with the phrase, in Jesus' name. Rather, he's talking about the nature of our prayers. That our prayers are to flow out of our relationship with him. You know, Pastor Norb was on sabbatical last fall. And you could say that while Norb was away, I led um, our, our staff team in the congregation in Norb's name. That might sound silly. But, you know, if, if I was, you know, talking with the staff about something and... Um, we were trying to figure out something to do, and I would remember a conversation that Norb and I had. I would say, well, Norb said this. And everyone says, oh, Norb said it. We're good to go, right? We don't have to talk about it anymore. Norb's got it. And I could lead the staff in Norb's name, saying things that Norb would have said. And additionally, I would try to lead as if Norb were still here. I would lead in Norb's nature. And so I'd come to a decision, and Pastor Steve will testify to this, where I would say, what would Norb do in this situation? Like, how would, what would Norb say about this thing? Because that's the thing we should do, right? And I would seek to lead in Norb's nature, in Norb's way, in Norb's name. Our prayer life is meant to be like that. Not in Norb's way and name, but in Jesus's, Norb, in Jesus's name and way. When we pray in Jesus's name, We pray based on our relationship with him. We pray according to his nature. We pray the things that he would have prayed. Well, what would Jesus have prayed? Well, just look to the word. Jesus' heart is poured out on the pages of scripture. We rightly pray for justice in our city around a shooting. We rightly pray for the comfort of the Holy Spirit. We pray according to Jesus' nature and name. Flowing out of our relationship that we have with him. And Jesus says that God answers these prayers. And, and, and what's the response to that prayer? God gives us joy. He gives us joy. In prayer, we also receive direction from Jesus. In, in verse 25 of this chapter, Jesus says, I've said these things to you in figures of speech, but the hour is coming where I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. Now, there's two things going on here. The first is the, the practical reality that Jesus returns after his resurrection, and he spends time with the disciples. So some commentators say uh, that Jesus is referring simply to that period of time where Jesus was with them, talking to them. But most commentators add to that the reality that Jesus sends his Holy Spirit. And we read about the Holy Spirit, uh, we heard about the Holy Spirit last week, and then also back in uh, John chapter 14, verse 26, we read about one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to lead us into truth and to teach us. So in prayer, we come before the Father in the name of Jesus Christ, praying in his nature. We seek direction, and Jesus gives us that direction. He speaks to us. He tells us what's about to happen. He he leads us. He gives us peace and comfort. He helps us make decisions. He leads us and guides us. In this, we see that prayer is conversational. That as we pray from the word... We lift up God's word back to him. We seek clarity and direction from his word. A part of prayer is just sitting in silence, enjoying the presence of the Father with us, listening to hear what Jesus has to say on a matter. And we listen. Friends, there is power in prayer. Now, maybe this is not your experience with prayer. I enjoy uh, verse 24 in this text, um, Jesus makes this statement that he says, Until now you have asked nothing in my name. 
Now, I know that he's referring to this mode of prayer switching, but I found it so interesting because it felt very convicting to me. Almost as if Jesus was saying, Adam, until now, you haven't, you haven't really been praying. You haven't really been praying. Do you realize the life I have for you in prayer? Do you realize it? Jesus might be saying that to some of us this morning. Maybe you haven't really been praying. In James chapter 4, we read that you desire and you do not have, so you murder. You, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. But you do not have. Why? Because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You're not praying in Jesus' name. But James 4 makes a very obvious point. You do not have because you do not have. You do not ask. Friends, we need to pray. We need to pray often. We need to pray boldly. But the reality is, is that we are often quicker to ask Google a question about life than we are to ask God. We're often quicker to run to the internet or the council of friends to figure out various situations or how to manage a circumstance than we are to come to the Lord in prayer. We're often to run to the internet or entertainment or this, that, or the other thing when we're feeling joyless and prayer isn't even on our radar. But friends, Jesus holds up prayer as a vehicle by which we access joy. So how do we navigate this life that Jesus is calling us to? Well, in addition to full and lasting joy being found in the gospel, we need to remember there's power in prayer. We need to pray and pray often. Finally, Jesus teaches the disciples that difficulty is part of the journey. This is a familiar verse, the end of this portion of Scripture. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. There's an unfortunate reality that comes up again and again in Scripture in that Jesus promises us that we will face difficulty. Jesus promises it. And I find it so interesting how many times you hear the question, why do bad things happen? Well, why are bad things happening to me? It's like, well, Jesus kind of said bad things are going to happen. It's going to be hard. There's going to be difficulty. You're going to face trials, tribulation. You're going to face persecution. These are simply matters of fact. And Jesus returns to this again and again, assuring the disciples, hard times are coming. When they come, how are you going to manage it? Friends, the Christian life is not free of suffering, but rather it's often characterized by it. We are called to be faithful in the midst of difficulty. We are called to be faithful in the midst of suffering. I appreciate uh, Pastor Mark Buchanan's words on Christian suffering. He says, Christianity does not provide a supernatural cure for suffering, but it provides a supernatural use for it. <laughs> These words reflect James chapter 1, where James says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you... When you face troubles of various kinds. We would love it if that verse said, consider it pure joy. You know, when you get that thing you want. When you get the raise. When you get the promotion. You know, it's, yes, pure joy. No. Consider it pure joy when you face 
trials of many kinds. Because the Father has a supernatural use for it. Mark Buchanan's comments are made in the context of a study he does on First and Second Peter. And he identifies within First and Second Peter different things that Peter says about suffering. He says that suffering, Peter says suffering refines our faith. Suffering perfects our hope. Suffering weans us from sin. And suffering deepens our intimacy. Those are some of the things that suffering should do in our lives as Christians if we let it. If we're faithful to the Father as we endure it. But Buchanan points out that so often we allow it to do the opposite. Where we allow suffering to corrode our faith. Shatter our hope. Be an excuse for sin and distance us from Jesus. But friends, as we endure difficulty, we, need, we rightly seek Jesus' perspective. We rightly seek Jesus' perspective. Our kids this morning upstairs are learning about this concept. That Jesus changes our perspective. We all need to be reminded of that. Not just the kids upstairs. Jesus should change our perspective. And friends, this section of scripture... I believe is a beautiful picture of relationship. The interaction between Jesus and the disciples is comical. And I found it so deeply relatable. I look at these disciples and I look at their interaction with Jesus and I see myself in it. At the beginning of this section, the disciples are looking at each other like, what on earth is Jesus talking about? Right? Man, I've been there before. God, what on earth are you doing? What is going on? I'm so confused. But what we see Jesus do in this In the midst of the disciples' doubt and confusion, they don't go to Jesus. They're talking to each other. But what does Jesus do? He comes to them. Jesus comes to them in their doubt and in their confusion. And he offers perspective and clarity. Friends, we too, in our doubt, our confusion, when we're struggling to endure difficulty, rightly go to the Father. We come to the Father in prayer. We seek the counsel of Jesus. We seek his perspective. And then later in this, in this passage, in verse 30 to 31, we have the disciples who are like, oh yeah, now we believe. We got it, Jesus. We're good. Man, how many times have I been overconfident, <laughs> thinking I have it all figured out, just like the disciples. And Jesus graciously responds to them. Oh, now you believe? If you have the NIV, the exclamation mark should be a question mark based on all the research I did. That it's not so much a statement as Jesus kind of going, oh, now you believe? (laughs) How many times has he said that to me? And he goes on again to give them perspective. You're going to struggle. It's going to be hard. He tells them an hour is coming. You will be scattered, each of you to your own home. You're going to leave me alone. Jesus wasn't very good at pep talks. But he brought them a healthy dose of reality. He gave them perspective. Friends, this passage calls us to receive peace and to be encouraged in the midst of difficulty. This passage encourages us to trust the work of the cross, that the death, that death is defeated, that the ruler of this world has been cast down. And it's difficult because as Christians, we are in a time of waiting, are we not? The phrase that Jesus says to the disciples in, uh, in verse um, 19 here, 
Oh, sorry, when Jesus says to them, a little while you will not see me, and again, a little while you will see me. We sit in the same tension that the disciples did. We have faith that Jesus rose from the dead, yes, but we know he ascended into heaven. And in the way that Jesus says, you will see me again, we have that same hope in Scripture. Revelation chapter 22 concludes with Jesus saying, behold, I am coming soon. We trust that he is coming back, but in the meantime, we see a world that is so in need of God's love and grace and intervention. We wonder where he is. Or personally, we endure situations where we struggle maybe in our own thought lives with depression and anxiety. We wrestle, we look at our own circumstances and we're saying, Jesus, I need your intervention. Where are you? Jesus encourages us by reminding us, in the world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome So friends, as we wait for Jesus' intervention, we need to receive the peace that Jesus has for us. We need to receive the joy that he has for us. And it's fascinating here because Jesus speaks of peace and trouble in the same breath. But this helps us to define what peace really is. Peace is not necessarily the absence of trouble. But in scripture, we understand peace to be this picture completeness or wholeness, that you and I can have peace with God. We can have union with him in the midst of any difficulty that we endure. So friends, these are the last words of Jesus's last words. Receive joy. Seek power and direction in prayer. Know the peace of Jesus in the midst of difficulty. I want to invite you to stand with me. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up this morning. My question for you this morning is, do you want peace and joy? Do you want peace and joy? Jesus said that the primary way that we access his peace and his joy is through prayer. So I just want to invite you to take a prayerful posture. As we hear these last words of Jesus' last words to his disciples, let us hear them as words to us today. These words were spoken in the context of difficulty coming. And many of us are facing difficulty. We need joy and peace. Some of you this morning are maybe hearing this invitation for the first time. And the idea of having joy and peace from God is like a new concept to you? Yes, it's available. Just need to ask. Some of you find you're struggling with joy, envy, or fruit, envy, looking for joy in all the wrong places. Return to Jesus this morning and receive the good news. See the counterfeits for what they are and ask for the joy and peace of Jesus to be greater and stronger than any other. And some of us this morning, this is what I love. This prayer for joy is not one and done. We don't just pray it at one point in our lives and walk away from it. This is like every day, every hour of every day. We come to Jesus and we seek that joy and the peace that he has for us. So let's receive it afresh this morning. I just invite you to pray with me. Maybe open your hands before the Father.
Lord Jesus, you taught your disciples, you taught us that lasting joy is found as we receive good news that you have brought. And that lasting joy can be received as we come to you and ask. So Jesus, we stand before you this morning, your disciples. And we ask for joy. We ask for peace. Jesus, for those who maybe walked in discouraged this morning, for maybe battling mental health struggles and they just feel plagued by anxiety and depression, we just pray for your peace and your joy to descend upon them right now in Jesus' name. And Lord, maybe some of us this morning are coming in and we're just feeling overwhelmed by all that's going on in the world, all that's going on in our own lives. We just pray, Lord, we ask for your peace and your joy to be known to us today. And Lord, maybe some of us come this morning and it's things are good. We still posture ourselves before you. Say, Jesus, we want to receive that peace and that joy today. So Lord, as we ask, we also bring those struggles before you. And we trust, we trust you, Jesus, that you will make a way. You will make a way. But Jesus, help us to receive that joy, we pray.